0: Welcome to the CFO Insights podcast, the leading podcast for CFOs in tech. I'm Guy Hutchinson. I'm a long-standing tech CFO and one of the founders of the Startup CFO community. At Startup CFO, we like to get to grips with some of the fascinating things CFOs tackle in their careers. In this episode, we get to meet Michael Tafula. We learn about his career journey as an investor and now as head of finance at Circa Five Thousand with key lessons covering all things entrepreneurial and his approach to problem solving. In our conversation, we get his insights on well-thought-through lessons on the importance of discerning between value preservation and value generation. Michael, welcome
1: to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Guy. I'm super, super excited uh, to be on the show, mostly because actually I've been part of the group for about the last year or so and, and I've found a lot of value in uh, what you're doing and what the community is doing so super happy to be here
0: and uh, you know keen to, uh, uh, to chat and, and, and talk about whatever we can. Uh, <laughs> minutes. Well it's fantastic to have you on Michael I mean uh, when we got you to join about a year back um, the, the one thing that made me think ah we're gonna have to do an event or a podcast with Michael was your background it's just such a broad spectrum uh, you have well you've been an investor for many years uh, you're a chartered accountant which of course we love as the cfo <laughs> uh, you're an author you have written three books i believe uh, and now you're head of finance at leading tech startup circle 5000 yeah so i guess there's quite a lot of uh,
1: variety in, in 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 my career and what's sort of guided me we were talking about this earlier in terms of like curiosity and having lots of different interests i've always had a variety of interests and I guess my professional career might have started in sort of the chartered accountancy realm uh, but even then I did decide to do chartered accounting in a slightly different way and we can dig into that a bit a bit later on but I guess if I had to introduce myself to someone and, and, and someone's asking me what, what what do you do for work and what's your professional career like um, I'm the head of finance at a uh, impact investment platform which allows uh, consumers to invest in companies that are aligned with their values And I'm also a author, so I've written a number of books on uh, education, educational topics. And I'm also actually still investing uh, on the side because I've got a deep passion for uh, technology. And somehow I think these things all kind of interact with each other and and hopefully make me a better professional in my uh, day-to-day job as as head of finance at circa 5000. So yeah, quite a mix of things, but hopefully there's some sort of sense in the madness of uh, variety that, uh, that I've got there.
0: Yeah, there's some uh, amazing overlaps there, and uh, it, it's it's interesting to try and unpick. And some of the people that would um, download our podcasts are going to be thinking like, "That's that's an interesting career path." Yeah. So we should join up the dots, right? So yeah, you were you were at university and you were doing some entrepreneurial things, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So I've always had
1: a, I guess, entrepreneurial streak. If you want to call it that, you know, when I was at school, I used to make music, music production. I used to make beats. And I used to sell beats uh, when I was at school. Um, in fact, that's how I made my own money initially. Nice. Uh, before I got, ever got a job. When I got to university, I had a uh, website blog, so to speak, uh, and I generated some income on there, mm-hmm. uh, doing some advertisements for um, some retail companies. And um, when I sort of graduated from university, I sort of went, went on to do the sensible thing, which is to join one of the big four accounting firms and, and qualify as an accountant. But while...
0: So I do agree that that's sensible, but I've got one question. <laughs> You'd spent the preceding years being quite creative yeah. and entrepreneurial. Yeah, absolutely. And you are looking at the chartered accountancy qualification, <laughs> yeah. saying, I want to go towards that. Yeah. I need a bit more detail. Like, like, like help me understand... That's real, that's a real really processes. that's a really
1: good question. So I I come from a from a family traditionally where you know, education has always been a super important, not necessarily as a thing that you just get as a certificate and you have it on your wall, but more as a thing that you can get as an asset for your career and and professional development. So you know education, university, professional development was always a thing in our family, and. Having studied accounting and finance, the next natural step was to go on and, and get a qualification because if you did an accounting and finance degree, I might as well yeah. go on and get the qualification. But even then, a lot of my peers were going into audit and, and tax. Mm-hmm. I decided to sort of take a somewhat riskier route, which is to go into corporate finance and work specifically within restructuring services um, at Deloitte. And that was an area that maybe recruited one or two people a year. In, in within the West Kyle. Midlands where I grew up, was grew up in Birmingham, for leash, yeah. um, whereas the audit group recruited, I don't know, dozens Huge. and dozens and dozens yeah, of yeah, graduates, yeah. maybe hundreds of graduates across the country. So I ended up taking a path which was a little bit more uh, risky. And I had some friends saying, hey, you know, what are you doing? Like, go for the...
0: Risky, it's but also interesting.
1: Risky, but super interesting. Um, and I guess some people might say it's low risk because, you know, you're joining an accounting firm and you're getting a chartered qualification. Other people might say, well, you're going to apply for this role where... Prospects of getting you know exceptionally low, but I guess if I tie this back to the to the question you were asking in terms of I was doing all these sort of entrepreneurial things, and then I guess I could have started a business, um, or at the time I guess I could have worked a smaller company or, or a startup. I saw an opportunity in restructuring services to learn about why companies underperform, mm. um, and I, I was pretty curious about how you go about turning around a company if it's underperforming. What are the lessons I could take from um, a variety of failing companies and how do they turn around if they can turn around? Although unfortunately, in a lot of cases in my role, we were actually winding down companies if we could not uh, restructure and turn them around. So I did that for three years, qualified as an accountant, and my CV doesn't even say I'm a chartered accountant anymore. It's sort of in the background. Yeah, yeah. But it is, you know, it is certainly uh, really good training um, and a really good framework that I can use when I'm looking at an established company or yeah. an investment opportunity.
0: I think most of the members that are chartered accountants, even if they don't really rely on those skills that often, they still see it as like an amazing set of foundations. Absolutely. And the foundations Absolutely. never really go away. The foundations can sometimes be a bit boring, yeah. yeah. but it just sets you up to succeed in so many ways that are not obviously, yeah. well, often not really obvious. Yes. Um, but they add value like throughout people's careers, you know, decades later. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: It's a, it's a great foundation to have. And it can pay off in a number of different ways. You don't have to be a practicing accountant. Yeah. Uh, if, if, if you have a child's accounting qualification, you can be an executive board member with an accounting background, for example. Absolutely. And there's lots, lots, of lots of them out places. there.
0: Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. And then at some point, VC world pops yeah. up when you're at Downing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So like, tell me about that. So you've been working on business restructuring. Yes. It's interesting. There's some risk involved. And then the next thing you know, VC world is in the yeah. spotlight.
1: Yeah, so it wasn't immediately straight onto the VC world. I think after doing restructuring services for about three years, I then wanted to learn about because you know, I guess if you, look at, if you look at my journey, I think one of the threads that seems to make sense now is that I'm always trying to learn uh, specific things. Mm-hmm. So having learned, I guess, what I could about underperforming companies and you know what leads to business failure, yada yada, I wanted to learn about what makes. Uh, businesses more successful. So what, what does a fast growth company mm-hmm. look like? What does a successful business look like? And one of the areas that I I'd identified that would give me exposure to that was private equity. So after working at Deloitte for about three years, um, I came across an opportunity to do um, almost, almost like a sales job, actually. It was, it was, really? it was deal origination okay. within a private equity fund. Um, so I joined a deal origination team, which wow. basically involved scouring companies house and finding interesting growing companies and phoning up the CEOs and asking them whether they'd like to take more money to grow their business. Mm -hmm. Um, But that, that gave me exposure to uh, the investment world from a private equity perspective. So looking at companies that are profitable growing and then trying to bring those opportunities into the, uh, to the deal team. So they could actually make investments in those companies did that for about a year and a half. And then I realized that actually it's great sourcing opportunities, but I'd like to be writing the checks. So I'd like to be the investor uh, as opposed to just being the person that brings the deals to the table um, and then handing it off to someone else to go off and execute the deal and spend time with the management team and and, and whatnot. And that was was the time when I started to learn about startups, technology, venture capital, uh, mostly by just reading blogs on the internet of, U.S. VC. These, they are amazing
0: resources. There's so much content, content. Out there.
1: And bearing in mind, I, I was in Birmingham at the time. You know, I don't think there's any... I mean, maybe there, there is maybe one or two venture capital funds. It's not quite in happened in Birmingham, Birmingham but there isn't quite happened. There isn't really a lot there. So I was relying a lot on the Internet and just reading blogs and learning about uh, venture capital. And it was then that I decided that I had to find a way to get into the venture capital uh, industry. Uh, and for that to happen... Lots of different things had to happen over two or three years uh, before I could land a role. And one of the things I did was, A, I took a year out and I spent that year writing a book about entrepreneurship. Wow. Uh, so I wrote a book called Graduate Entrepreneurship. And it was a, it is, in fact, it's, I think it's still available on Amazon. This was way back. It was a primer on entrepreneurship for graduates. So people leaving university, yeah. what's the easiest way of introducing them to entrepreneurship? So this book covered things like, 101 on sales 101 on marketing 101 on finance um 101 on strategy what is strategy you'd be surprised at how many people talk about strategy but actually they don't really understand what it is
0: yeah happens um all the time.
1: so i spent that year writing the book but not just writing the book because i was some sort of expert i spent a lot of time interviewing other entrepreneurs people who are successful in their own right mm. people that started technology companies retail companies um, a wide range of companies, and I took their insights and weaved those insights alongside all the research I'd personally done. So I spent the year, amazing, kind of like working on this book and also working with some founders and, and entrepreneurs yeah. in Birmingham. And then after that, after that one year, I decided to go off to Africa to intern for a venture fund in Kenya. Wow. And the reason why I did that was because none of the venture funds in London would even call me in for an interview. No way. The number one thing, the number one reason that came up a lot in, in, in that situation was that you don't have any consulting or investment banking yep. experience. Yep. We're only looking at consultants and investment bankers and you don't have any investment experience. I said, okay, I'll find another way to find investment experience. Um, so I spent some time in Kenya um, working uh, as an intern for a venture capital fund over there. After four months, I came back to the UK, fast forward, did an MBA at Said business school, uh, Oxford university networked like crazy, and then secured a role uh, at Downing Ventures as a, as, a, as a intern and then associate. So then by the time I left, I was a principal. It's an astonishing story.
0: Uh, <laughs> you are so resourceful how you problem solve. No, really. I mean, uh, like you basically, uh, you went to Kenya, you got the role in Kenya that, that you probably should have got here. You did the MBA at Oxford University, uh, and and you 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 transformed your ability to convert opportunities absolutely and and I guess for some
1: people it might look like it was all kind of well planned out and mm. it wasn't It was just, <laughs> you know how can I uh, make the most of what I have and I guess that comes back to the you know we were talking about entrepreneurship earlier you know in a lot of cases entrepreneurship is about being resourceful with with what you have and finding opportunities within within the resources that you have and and just just having a a a bit of a hustle mentality in terms of finding the right opportunities and 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 chances that you can take to um
0: to grow as a business or
1: individually as a person
0: that's really interesting so i'm gonna have to ask you about hustle yeah so when i first heard the term used yeah in uh in business that was probably like a decade ago maybe slightly longer i thought it was a little Right <laughs> yeah. now, over time, I've grown to love hustle. <laughs> yeah. uh, but like having having had that period, uh, I think I think at least once in your career where you've hustled, you've made it work for you. So when you're at Downing, you're meeting founders, and you're feeling the hustle. You're feeling that what they can do to make the magic happen. Do you feel that you can identify an entrepreneur with great hustle because you've you've done some of that stuff yourself?
1: Yeah. And by the way, Guy, I completely agree in terms of you know the word. There's a lot of weird business words people use. Oh, so many. <laughs> We're gonna democratize finance, and yeah. you know, having hustle and all, all that kind of stuff. And I guess I, I use the words because it's just simple uh, reference to uh, the ability to just do more with less, and to be relentless at finding and knocking down doors. And that's and, the best and, definition of hustle that I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I kid you not. Yeah, and and it, you know, I've always felt that. You know, in this day and age, we have access to so many different opportunities thanks to the internet. A lot of relationships I've I've established within, I guess, the investment world and the entrepreneurial world, have been through the internet. Mm. Um, You know, your community is powered by the internet. Indeed, Um, I've been to some of the the virtual events that you've hosted, and you know, I just feel that there's 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 a lot out there um, that makes it a lot easier for people to access certain opportunities. So coming to the side of entrepreneurship, for example, now, you know, one of the reasons why it's a lot cheaper to launch a startup today is because we have things like open source software. We've got cloud services. You don't have to buy a rack of servers and have all your data in an office somewhere. You can just have it all spun up in Amazon, uh, with Amazon AWS, for Mm -hmm. example. There's so many tools and resources today that, you know, it feels like, you know, people can be, and, and, and should be a lot more resourceful now to answer the question how do you spot that in someone I think it's very hard to do that on the basis of one meeting uh, or two meetings or three meetings I think the the, the way to sort of identify it is to see behavior over uh, a reasonable amount of time yeah. um, as opposed to sort of having set of questions you can ask someone you know tell me about a time you've been resourceful yada yada it's all about seeing behavior over over a, a defined period of time. And if I put my investment hat on, if, if if I'm meeting entrepreneurs, it's you know, you know how how creative are they in in meeting the right people? How creative are they in um, securing I don't know meeting with a customer, potential customer, potential partner? You know how do they go about hiring talent? How do they go about convincing amazing people to work with them? That type of thing. That, that can be a, a a great signal to that hustle uh, uh, mentality. And then coming back to this idea of, you know, if you're working as a head of finance or a CFO uh, in a company, how how do you sort of break out of your siloed function uh, to find other ways of bringing value mm-hmm. uh, to the business based on 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 your on your skill set? But I'm, I'm probably deviating a little bit. No, 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 I mean, no, that's...
0: no. This this is all this is all amazing content, and I am greatly enjoying it. But I'm going to kind of roll back to um, the downing period. So yes. so you were very successful as a VC, right? You did well in your years of downing. And then you decide to go into operator mode become become yes. a finance, yeah. circa 5000. Yeah. Uh, and a number of our members who are already FDs and CFOs might be thinking, oh, I might get my exit in a year or two's time. Yeah. Then maybe after that, I'll be a VC. <laughs> yeah. Now... How, how does it work in your case? Because obviously, like, those, those two things are going in the opposite directions. So yeah. so what were you thinking? What, 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 what's made you choose the path? Uh, that's a really good question, Guy. Um, and I guess, you know, so, by the way, also
1: in terms of my success, I think it's still early days. You know, <laughs> the, the, the very, what I find particularly curious about, you know, this idea of being a, an investor or, or taking on a career as an investor is that your performance will not be clear for at least five, seven, ten years or so. So I'm still very early in my a bit of a time lag, yeah. Yeah, so it's quite, quite a time lag. Uh, but, you know, I worked at Downing Ventures. I got promoted to principal uh, in, a, in a reasonable amount, amount of time. I invested in, um, in maybe 20-plus transactions across yeah. early stage from pre-seed all the way through to Series B across consumer, enterprise, healthcare, deep tech. Um, so, uh, you know, personally, it was a success for me in the sense that I got exposure to lots of different uh, styles of investment yeah. at, at the early stage, and I really enjoyed my time there and I worked with some incredible people now the, the reason why I made the leap and it's funny because most people make as you're saying make the leap the other way around so they work in a startup for a few years maybe they grow the company scale yeah. the company have an exit, and then turn to investing afterwards
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but it is also it is also possible to go the other way around and I made that leap because well a, a met the company and I wanted to invest in the company. That was the first thing. Okay. Uh, so I met the founders, I loved the opportunity. I got on really well with the, uh, the founders of the company. And initially my first sort of instinct was, hey, this might be a great opportunity to invest in. Um, at the time we couldn't make the investment for a variety of reasons, sector focus, and a bunch of other things at the fund. Um, so I didn't really uh, move the opportunity forward after that. But then, you know, COVID happened in March 2020. Um, you know, people started to rethink their careers yeah. and started to sort of think about what they wanted to do going forward. And the opportunity came back around towards the back end of 2020 when the company, Circle 5000, was getting to a stage where it needed someone in the finance function within the business, right? So it was maturing and getting to a point where it was really useful to have someone on board who could help with fundraising, help with forecasting, budgeting, help with all the accounting stuff and and some of the admin stuff that founders don't want to sort Mm -hmm. of put uh, spend their time on. Um, But then circa 5000 also happened to be at the intersection of three things I was sort of very, very interested in. I've been working in finance for over a decade, um, but I've got a deep passion for technology. And increasingly at the time, I was very, very, very um, interested in doing something that had a bit more meaning and purpose um, and something that had a, you know, this word gets overused actually. So I'm going to try and use it in, in, in a, only a few instances, <laughs> but I wanted to do something with positive impact, yeah. right? something, something that had a, uh, a genuine positive impact on the planet. And of course, I'm not going to be out there campaigning uh, on the road saying we should get all these oil and gas corporations out of business, yada, yada. That's not me. Uh, but I do have a skill set that I can apply in a certain area within Uh, the financial market that might be helpful. And I think that's where Circa 5000 was a perfect fit for that. Um, Just to recap, Circa 5000 is a savings and investment app that makes it very easy for consumers to invest in companies that are aligned with their values. So, you know, we have the ability to allow users to invest in clean energy companies, clean water companies, cybersecurity companies, digital education, healthcare, a whole bunch of like great things that are actually businesses that are, generating positive impact. It's on amazing. The so it was a it was a no-brainer for me to actually yeah. join the business. It's a cool
0: concept. Try and try and help the company out. So that, that that's part of the reason why There'll be there'll it. be lots and, of people listening thinking that they probably hadn't heard of a sort of a genuine impact fund that, that was built from the grassroots up. Yeah. So Michael, like it's evident that circa 5000 is a really exciting business. But where does it go, right? So what what what's the future for that business? What's the ultimate outcome that could be achieved? And what do you want to achieve for your career? But both really
1: good and personal questions. And I'd love to share a little bit more in brief, because otherwise yeah, yeah. I could be here all day. That's okay. But I think, I think the first thing is, currently, Circa 5,000 is just UK-based. All yeah. our customers are in the UK. But we are in the process, for example, now of designing our own underlying funds. Because at the moment, our funds are powered by a bunch of other providers. But we'd love to basically design our own uh, impact-focused funds and then distribute them across Europe. Now, that for me, as, as the head of finance and CFO, means that my role will change from being focused on a UK-only business to a business potentially that will be operating across Europe. Um, so the nature of the role changes. I'll have to recruit a bunch of people to work with me because at the moment, I'm a one-person finance Ah, you're a one-man person, finance team. One-man finance yeah. team. Um, so even though my, t- my title is head of finance, it's actually a one one-person team. So I think as the business grows and the vision for the is to take it across Europe, and, you know, we do want to be and plan to be the number one impact investing uh, platform in Europe, which means we want to be the go-to place that people go to if they want to save and invest their money in large publicly listed companies that are generating positive impact alongside their uh, revenues. Now, that's a European business. It's not just a UK business, which means my role would be very different. Yeah. Uh, and probably will involve managing a, a reasonable size, a reasonably sized Absolutely. team. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and that means I have to work on other things. So I have to learn how to um, manage people a lot better. Currently, I don't manage that many people, so it's not
0: uh, a particularly a particular area I've spent a lot of time on. Uh, but that will be completely different role that's, now that's often a big step right when once you're international you've got team and tax exactly the two t's and yeah. they both consume more time than you yeah. ever imagine yeah. so a lot of delegation
1: um but also a lot of um a lot of personal growth and a lot of business growth with alongside the
0: opportunity as well that's amazing and, and actually your thought process around what it took to lure you into uh, a cfo type role yeah. Yeah. Uh, out of investing was really a combination of founders that you clicked with yes i i I would really love working with these people uh and having this overlay of tech and the impact piece where you're like well 20 years from now i look back on that i'm gonna feel good about what i did a hundred percent
1: i mean i never planned to be a cfo or head of finance i just thought (laughs) that's like a very deeply operational thing yeah Uh, and of course you know the function of a cfo varies depending on stage of business right so if you're at seed doesn't need a cfo to be honest i'll be very frank but once you get sort of series a mm. series b you absolutely need to have someone in, in, in place Absolutely. Um, and of course once you get series c series d growth scale it's a different type of function uh, but at the earlier stage
0: it's quite varied in terms of the things that you do oh incredibly <laughs> much, like, much more varied than you might expect we we yeah. we often run events at um you know start cfo on hr topics exactly topics culture, yeah. legal, so many legal events. Yeah. Because you've just got so much responsibility for, for, for all of the back office uh elements. And some of the some founders think of those things as being admin, but actually the people stuff adds a lot of value. It does. It does. The legal stuff is really, really important, particularly around yeah. funding rounds. And absolutely. so you know we find that there's a lot of demand for the events that are just broader than pure finance.
1: Yeah, no absolutely because you know as as you're saying there's lots of different things that you would have to get involved in um at the earlier stage and you know some of that stuff is value preservation so just making sure that you have oh yeah right yeah, yeah. but there's a huge element of also value add yeah. um you know whether that's uh helping your company move to a salary sacrifice scheme for example that yeah. might mean that your employees actually get their uh, uh tax savings directly on the payslip as opposed to going out to hmrc and claiming it back with this r d tax credits to get cash into the business these are all like value adding things and they go beyond the value preservation elements of of the cfo role and by the way i wasn't even aware of some of these things before i took on the role so that was going to be my next question
0: so so when (laughs) now you've done a couple of years in the finance role and you reflect on what it was like as an investor what's the biggest surprise that the the finance lead is doing that the investors probably don't think you're doing like 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 that they're less aware of what are the things that you have to sort of pick up and solve?
1: That's a really good question. I think it, the, the, there's, the, there were quite a few surprises, but maybe one surprise is just the the, the, the pace is a lot faster mm. than if you were... So, yeah, working as an investor, you can take your time. Um, and they do sometimes. They do. Annoyingly <laughs> so. Annoyingly oh, so. Yeah. This is one of the worst pet peeves uh, with, with investors and founders. Yeah. like some investors are really slow, it's the opposite with uh, being, being in an operational role. You know, the mm-hmm. pace is a lot faster. You have to be quick. Um, and I guess one of the challenges is having speed and also maintaining quality. You know, that's a significant challenge. Yeah. You know, being able to produce timely information, but actually making sure that information is of a high enough quality, um, but you're not, you know, creating numbers that are going to potentially lead to um, ineffective decision making. So I think maybe that's one thing, in, you know, investors or people on the outside don't appreciate about. Kind of like the CFO role within a startup. Yeah, you know you've got to move really fast, but you've also got to keep an eye on detail. A lot of exceptional detail, um, which can be quite a tricky, balance, But I think it's possible to achieve it.
0: Yeah, so I would agree with you, and and um, I would say actually it's something that 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 I'd love it to believe we could teach that you could teach <laughs> teach people to come into these really demanding startup roles in yeah. finance. And sort of unlock the individual's potential in a hectic environment where you're making the trade-off between what's the quality that I need to achieve on that task, yeah. and now I've got to move on to the next task because Absolutely, they are yeah. coming at me so fast. Yeah. And that would be an amazing thing to uh, deliver to the world.
1: Yeah, it's one of those. It's one of those <laughs> things that's you know it's, it's very context-dependent on the company, the individual, yeah. the situation, how someone works. But it's so critical, you know, being able to move with relative speed and also actually maintaining uh quality so that, that's one thing i didn't quite appreciate before but i think it's been drummed into me um over the last uh over the last year or so and, and but it's been great you know i think it's a it's a fantastic development point
0: yeah yeah i think so too And i think a lot of people listening into the podcast will be thinking about maybe their career moving into startup world and, and it's a great great thing to have on your radar from day one Absolutely. The, the, the 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 speed at which you're going to to have move. It in that role is really different from if you're in a corporate or if you're in audit or corporate finance or you're a VC. Um, We are, we're the people that are really iterating and learning and solving so many things to solve at an astonishing pace. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And and
1: thankfully, we now have a lot of technology and a lot of tools that you can use to automate certain things that you do. Um, Some of my work, which is pretty mundane, I've managed to automate. Cool. So I could then, going back to this idea of value preservation and value enhancing activities, I can now kind of like do the mundane stuff to preserve value in you know, an automated yeah. fashion. And then the stuff that's actually value enhancing takes a bit of work. And that can that can be the bulk of my time as opposed to kind of like the mundane
0: reporting and, and, and compliance. Based. That's fantastic. So that's definitely another podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to listen to that. I look forward <laughs> to that one. Michael, all of this has been really fascinating. So much fun talking with you. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Startup CFO podcast, CFO Insights. If what you've heard has piqued your interest, then you might find that you want to check out our website, startupcfo.tech. You can read all about our free membership for finance professionals in disruptive tech businesses, and also check out some of our paid offerings covering the coaching for CFOs and also Exit Masterclass.